2: Hey guys, and welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. As always, thank you for joining me. In today's episode, we're talking with a paranormal investigator from Florida. His name is Chad Talley. Chad has started his own paranormal research society, titled the Space Coast Paranormal Society. The link for that is in the description of this podcast. Also jump on to the Space Coast Paranormal Society's YouTube channel. Some of the evidence that we talk about in this episode is actually featured on the YouTube channel. So there's a bunch of audio recordings and video you can check out there. Throughout this interview, Chad and myself use a couple different terms. If you're not too familiar with paranormal Investigating, I'm just going to run you through a couple of these terms. The big one is EVP, and that pretty much means electronic voice phenomenon. This is when you have an audio recorder and you're conducting an interview trying to speak with spirits. You won't be able to hear the answer with your own ears, but then when you play back the recording, it ends up in your recording. Another term we used is EMF which stands for electromotive force, pretty much means that you're looking into the electrical energy in particular area. Because obviously spirits are energy. So if you get a spike in any of your meters that read EMF, you're going to have a bit of an indication that you might have something paranormal there. If you do enjoy this episode or any of our previous episodes, feel free to give us a like, subscribe, follow, depending on the platform you're listening to this podcast on. We'll vary in those options. If your hosting platform allows reviews, feel free to leave us a review. That would be awesome. I'd really love to hear what you guys are thinking. And, of course, if you listen to any of these episodes and think you would like to come on the podcast and have a chat, feel free to give me an email at paranormalthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. We're pretty open here to talk about any paranormal topic. Thanks once again to Chad for coming onto the podcast. It was a really great chat. It was great to talk to someone who's very dedicated in their field and very open to talking about the evidence that his group find. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Chad, how you doing?
3: Not bad, yourself.
2: Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, thanks. So, Chad, can you give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself?
3: Well, I'm Chad Tally. I founded the Space Coast Paranormal Society back in 2008. I got into the paranormal when I was about seven. I was sitting uh, in my room and I had the the chest of drawers, all the drawers pulled out at once, and I went to my mom, asked her about it, and she didn't uh, discourage it at all. She actually encouraged me to read up and research and learn more. So it just my interest in the paranormal carried on from there.
2: Oh, that's really interesting. It's good to hear your mom was so supportive and telling you to go and actually seek out what might be causing this.
3: Yeah, she was never one to discourage everything. <laughs> ah, that's great. What made you want to become a paranormal investigator? When I had my experience, I know I was frightened when it first happened. and I, I know how that feeling is when you first feel it and you first see something. And you think you might be going crazy. You don't know what to think. And the reason I started uh, SCPS was because I want to help people. Let them know they're not crazy. Let them know that there are things or, you know, there, it could be a natural cause. I mean, that's our whole goal is to find natural causes for things.
2: Are the places that you're investigating, is it hotspots that you hear about? Or is it a lot of the time people asking for your assistance to come out and give them a little bit of an understanding of what might be going on?
3: Usually what we do is residential. People will contact us to come in. But we have worked with uh, Florida Today on a segment called Hanna Brevard that we do every year, which we try to go to a local place that has a lot of history, that has a lot of stories to it, and uh, we'll investigate there for them It's for their Halloween, yearly Halloween segment. Great. How many cases are you doing in a year? A year? Uh, it comes in waves, especially here. So I'd say in a year we do between 20 and 40.
2: Great. That's a good amount. So, what are some of your case files? Some of your expeditions that really stand out?
3: Uh, the ones that stand out, especially in Brevard, we have a, a fairly famous haunting down here. Name's Ethel Allen. Uh, she was brutally murdered way back in the day, like the forties. And um, we have a restaurant here called Ashley's that's featured a lot of times in books and uh, magazines and newspapers because it's one of the last places she was seen. But there's like five or six spots associated with her because there's Ashley's where she was last seen. There's her actual grave. And then there's a, a warehouse that we, I love investigating the warehouse, but it recently got sold and we're not allowed in there anymore. So we we go there, we get activity every time we went there. It was always something new. We had a kid who, uh, this poor kid, he had, uh, I think it was juvenile arthritis. He had to get shots like every month. He had been through a whole lot. He was seeing shadow people, which we've had an increase of reports of shadow people. But he was seeing a shadow man with a hat on and, as he claimed, shiny shoes And it was scaring him so bad that this poor kid built a safe space in his closet. He would see it and run to his closet and hide in there like all night. Wow. So we come out and uh, through all the evidence that we gathered, we actually got an EVP where I had asked, uh, do you know that you're scaring the kid? It actually said, sorry. And then it said, you don't have to worry. And then after that, he didn't really have that happening anymore. So the entity didn't even know that he was scaring the kid that bad.
2: There you go. That's interesting too. I've heard a lot of reports recently of people having experiences with shadow people it's interesting that this kid actually um described it wearing a hat as well because from what i've read that's definitely a characteristic of shadow people wearing these wide-brimmed hats
3: and typically they're associated with like malevolent activity too but this one actually whatever was in this house didn't mean to scare the kid and backed off when we were there and said hey you're scaring him
2: yeah fascinating
3: we actually did a bike shop for Haunted Brevard, oh, well, last year now. This bike shop used to be the dry cleaners back when uh, around our, our town was first getting started. And the husband had killed the wife and the daughter and then just left them in a the trunk of a car. And He got arrested later on, but he just left them in the trunk of a car and then come to find out his son had died too of suspicious circumstances at the park nearby of head trauma. And the dad claimed he had fallen off the swing. I don't think falling off a swing is going to give you that much head trauma to kill you, but uh, we did that house, and the claims from the the owner slash manager was he had hired a manager and had set him up in one of the apartments upstairs, and the guy just went crazy upstairs and was like broke down doors, banging his head against things. So we go in, and we got a couple of things. One of the clearest ones we got was uh, one of my investigators got pushed, and then you hear our, my my investigators discussing it. And something behind it in a different voice repeats in a mocking way uh, what my one of my investigators said. He said, oh, I can't go in there. I got pushed. And in a mocking voice behind that, he goes, oh, I can't go in there. I got pushed. Wow. Uh, we did a a graveyard for uh. we usually go and visit Ethel Allen before we go to the warehouse where she usually is. And uh, we were in there visiting her grave just to we leave flowers every once in a while down there too for before we go to where she is. And i uh, walking down the down one of the paths and on the full spectrum you can see a shadow following me behind me as one of the little needles in a haystack of video that you get.
2: What's the type of activity that you often experience?
3: The most evidence that we get is EVPs. Uh, Video evidence is harder to come across, but we do often get a a good amount of EVPs.
2: And what are some of the techniques that your team go through on an investigation?
3: Our typical process when we go in, we get a baseline EMF, we get a baseline um, with our thermal imaging camera. And we'll take the claims that the client has given us and we'll try and find natural causes for them, try and debunk the claims. And then what we can't find a natural explanation for is when we're left with something that we can't explain. And uh, we'll do the EVP sessions, we'll test everything that we can to try and find out for the client what's going on.
2: What's kind of the percentage, would you say, of these places that, in your belief, are actually haunted compared to maybe being able to find an explanation for
3: the client? I would say that we're able to debunk the majority of things. We do get the occasional uh, Class A EVP, or occasionally we get the really good evidence. But the majority of the time, we're able to find natural causes for the client and uh, ease their fears, put their fears to bed.
2: What are some of the things that come up a lot that are really easy to debunk that maybe people get confused with something that could be a haunting?
3: Uh, Feeling like they're being watched is a good one, because a lot of times the high EMF fields will make you feel like you're being watched we actually had a case where uh, a kid was he was seeing things he was seeing somebody come into his room at night and he was have that that feeling of being watched and uh so he we went in there he had high emf pumping into his head from either side of the bed so he had two things plugged in that were putting out a crazy high emf so i told the mom unplug those two things and let me know in like a week if it's gone down or if it's gone at all the week passed she called me back and she said he hasn't had any episodes since yeah there you go yeah so things like that it's EMF is a lot of it for us that we, we tend to find.
2: Interesting. That seems to be the thing that would make the most sense as well. Yeah. So what's some of the most compelling evidence that you've come
3: across? Oh, some of the most compelling evidence? Well, we do have a lot of EVPs, as I mentioned. We had a case in Jupiter, Florida. It was The client actually had a, a video of, the, of a ball rolling back and forth in the middle of her living room. I did see that. And we tried to find a natural explanation for that. Like We set it up ourselves to try and do it. And then we just couldn't recreate it no matter what we tried. Turning on the fans, turning on the AC, turning on and off the AC to see if that little gust of wind will push it. But nothing we did worked. So we couldn't find a natural explanation for that. We did a house that was a known drug house in Melbourne. And um, we got a lot of negative EVPs from there. Stuff saying that it hated us, it wanted to kill us, it didn't want us there. So we actually went back again later on in the month and we took those recordings, played them over a loudspeaker in the house so we could be like, hey, you know, here's what we heard. We heard you say all that stuff, thinking we might get a different response. And then we just got a bunch of the same hateful things. Wow, there you go. Just a lot of that negative energy from that, because it was a drug house, there was a lot of violence in that house, just all of that pent up in the one house.
2: Would you say a lot of the spirits that you've come in contact with are quite neutral? Yeah,
3: uh, we rarely come across a malevolent entity. It does happen, but it, it's very rare. The one malevolent one we've come across that was truly malevolent was in Titusville, where it was actually uh, scratching and choking the client. Wow! And it uh, it had some choice words for us too. So, how do you
2: go about that when a client has told you that they're actually being attacked and physically
3: touched? Uh, we we prepare ourselves like mentally before we go in there. When we go in there, we try to capture all the evidence that we can to see if maybe something natural is happening somehow. And if not, to try and get rid of it, we go with whatever religious belief that particular client is. So whatever you hold more faith in, I find, is what's going to help expel that better, mind over matter, pretty much. Yeah.
2: Do you do many of that sort of situation where getting rid of the spirit is the best option?
3: A lot of the times the client would like to uh, say we find evidence that there's a paranormal occurrence happening in that house uh, and the client wants to get rid of it, which happens more often than you would think. Typically, we'll. I recommend sage if they don't have any particular religious belief. If they do, we'll have we have contacts uh, and the churches will have a, a priest or a pastor, or somebody come out and bless the house for the client. And if whatever they hold more faith in, yep. usually the sage works fine. I'll bring out sage and I'll I'll smudge the house for them, and then they won't have any problems after that. Usually.
2: Oh, that's interesting. What are the type of hauntings you're mostly dealing with? Would you say is a lot of it residual
3: or intelligent? Would you say? I'd say more often than not, it's intelligent. Residual, we get it every once in a while, but not too often. Usually it's intelligent hauntings that we usually get called out to. Selling a little
1: or a lot?
0: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And can you explain the difference between those for people listening?
3: The best way I can describe a residual haunting is like a DVD on skip. that has a scratch on it. It's just repeating what it's doing, and you're not going to be able to interact with it at all. It's just you're seeing an imprint of the past. With an intelligent haunting, it wants to get your attention. It's able to move. It's able to communicate using the K2s, the, the recordings, anything.
2: You could almost say in a residual haunting case, the uh, spirit doesn't necessarily know they're dead, right? They're just kind of going
3: about right the day. Like with a when it comes to residual, I tend to believe that it's it's just like a movie projector. It's it's just energy that's imprinted onto the area, just repeating. How
2: does someone become a paranormal investigator? This is something that I've always been interested in. And here in Australia, it isn't a huge industry by any means. So it's very mm-hmm. yeah, it's not very well known and. It's From what I can tell, it's quite difficult to get into these niche groups.
3: Here in Florida, we actually have something called the Para Unity Conference, a group down here called the Florida Bureau of Imperial Investigation. Uh, they're run by a man named Larry who puts the event together, and it's to get everybody together, even if they're not in a particular group, so that they can meet the groups, we can uh, talk to each other, discuss methods, you know, share evidence. Here we try to promote the unity within our groups so that anybody that wants to join can find a group to join that best suits them. With my members, I have a, a wide range of, of why people join. Like for me, it was because I had something happen and I wanted to. I want to help people who are afraid of that that first experience. I have people in the group that have had a relative pass or a loved one pass, and they want to search out to see if there's an afterlife. I have skeptics in my group who want to disprove it, which helps legitimize the field, and the people that just are interested in it because they watch the shows. <laughs>
2: I could imagine when all these shows became quite popular that a lot of people became really interested in
3: paranormal investigating. Yeah, we get a, we get a high influx every time a new show comes out. <laughs> but I, I have a high roster right now, so I have, I have to put on a waiting list of people that want to join.
2: Wow, that's, that's amazing.
3: Yeah, especially around Halloween when our special comes out, I get about 10 to 15 people wanting to join. And I, I already have a group of 20. So I have to redirect it to other groups or tell them, you know, if you want to join ours, I can put you on the waiting list or these other groups out here that could possibly use, uh, use more investigators.
2: So by the sounds of what you're just saying there, is it becoming a little bit more of a normal thing that people do this paranormal investigating? It's not so looked at as kind of weird, would you say?
3: Yeah, when I first started out, it was, you didn't really talk about it. You were in a group, you didn't really bring it up or anything like that since uh, maybe two or three years ago, it's gotten a lot more accepted. It's like you bring it up and people want to know more about it. As before, people would just look at you weird like, well, I don't know about this guy.
2: So I just want to get your opinion on what do you think a ghost is? Do you think it is someone who's passed or it's something that we don't know about? And I guess what's your sort of thought of like crossing over and things like that?
3: Well, there's so many theories. I do believe it can be somebody that has passed or somebody that's left an imprint I believe there can just be energy imprints like the residual hauntings. Um, I believe there can be things that that are still intelligent hauntings that move things that want to get your attention. I do believe that they are people who have passed. But there's also the uh, alternate planes of existence where they just kind of overlap sometimes. I like that theory, but I haven't been able to do any kind of proof under that theory.
2: (laughs) It's an interesting theory, that's for sure. What's the clear difference between, say, just a regular spirit compared to a poltergeist for you
3: a poltergeist for me i believe that's just caused by people like uh, whenever they're in a especially teenage when they're in stress when they're very stressed all emotional they have all the hormones going and they actually end up causing their own activity whereas a, a regular ghost it's just like an intelligent haunting something's there trying to get your attention
2: how would you determine that what you might be dealing with is a poltergeist
3: we had one case where we went in and they were having experiences like that. And the mother and the son were, had a very stressful relationship where they were always going back and forth with each other and feeding into each other's energies and stuff would happen whenever they got mad at each other. It was like, I was able to say, hey, you know, when you get mad at each other, how about why don't you just leave the room and that stuff won't happen to you anymore?
2: Interesting. Yeah, so you need to know that sort of background of what the people living there are kind of getting up to to determine your energy might be feeding what's going on. Yeah, have you ever come across anything that you could say in your mind was demonic?
3: I personally don't believe in demons. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there can be malevolent entities. But I don't take to the belief of demons.
2: That's interesting. I'm kind of the same in that. I, I suppose it's just hard to explain the idea of something being demonic, isn't
3: it? Yeah. Well, with Hollywood now, every everybody, every anytime somebody has something happen, they're automatically afraid that it's demonic.
2: Yeah, definitely. Even a lot of the times, the sort of reenactment shows that have come out are haunting and things like that, where they paint it in such a way that it is such a, I suppose, almost like a demonic entity that it's so negative. But really, I'm assuming that a lot of the time it's nowhere near the sort of intensity. I often think I wouldn't mind living somewhere that would be potentially haunted. Because for me, it doesn't, it's not really, uh, it's not going to affect me as long as, you know. suppose your keys and phone aren't kind of getting moved and things like that yeah as you kind of said too a lot of people who find out that their house is haunted that they want to get rid of the energy what's there and i think that's pretty fascinating rather than them just being happy to kind of live in harmony alongside of things we don't really understand
3: and i think a lot of that is to do with hollywood now too hollywood and a lot of like the reenactment shows like you mentioned like uh the haunted that show that's on animal planet that started out i liked it i liked it at first just telling the stories and then slowly and Slowly and slowly and slowly it delved more into everything's demonic mm. like near uh, like the halfway point of the seasons it turned into everything's demonic and I think that's that's got people thinking that anything anytime something happens it's demonic or it's going it wants to hurt them so they want it out yeah is what I I tend to find or what I tend to believe yeah, I, think it, I think the demonic stuff draws in viewers which is why they keep doing it
2: I suppose a network is wanting to make money off a show it's what's going to sell really isn't
3: it yep That's what's on the movies now. It's like Conjuring and Conjuring Two, that kind of stuff. Everything's evil. Yep, that's exactly it, isn't
2: it? Perfect example. The Amityville Horror. Do you believe that that was actually a haunting?
3: I believe it was exaggerated. I don't. I don't believe it was uh, as bad as I think it was. I think it could have been a haunting. I don't think it was. I don't think it was that bad of a haunting to do all that. Yeah,
2: I think that's um, a perfect example of wanting to sell books, and then you know how many films have been made. I don't know. I definitely think it's something interesting whether it was a complete hoax or it actually was something that was going on, but do you have any advice for people wanting to get into paranormal investigating? Uh,
3: do your research first. Don't delve into it and get yourself in, in a situation where like, you think you can do something and then get into it and then you're way over your head. Like, don't, uh, don't promise a client that you can get results before you even know what you're doing. I would say join a team first. We do training investigations with our team. We'll take them to a location where we have where we've had activity happen before, and bring them out there. You know, train them on the equipment, train them on what to do, how to do EVP sessions. Not to talk over anybody. To give at least like ten seconds in between questions, so you're not talking over any possible answers. And then from there, they'll come out on more and more investigations, and then they're seasoned, and then I feel comfortable leaving them on their their own with a group of people.
2: Oh, that's perfect. I think too, especially in your um, situation where you're very welcoming to new people coming in and having a try, seeing if they kind of got what it takes to continue through, that's perfect. I think there definitely
3: needs to be more like that. And even people, that, we get a lot of emails saying, hey, I know, I'd like to come on, on an investigation with you just to see what it's like. Uh, we, don't, we don't do that because I don't want to bring somebody who has no experience into a client's home. Of course. We'll, do, we'll take them on like, one of our training investigations. We'll take them to a spot that has well-known activity that's like a, a public spot or a spot that we have an in with and take them there and train them on everything. Before, you know, if they want to join, they get experience.
2: When you um, first started investigating, well, even now, do you ever still get that uneasy feeling of fear? Or is it more you're just kind of immune to it now?
3: Uh, I do still get that every once in a while. That's more mind over matter because you go into a thing, into a location not knowing what's there. Or even if uh, the client sometimes won't tell you the whole story. So you go into a place, either blind or semi-blind, and you have to work to find out what's actually there. So you get that little bit of unease feeling when you go in. I could imagine. I mean, even if it, even if they report that it's a it's an okay entity or whatever, it doesn't bother them. It can always flip on a dime and be something completely different. Do you only investigate at night as well? Uh, we investigate whenever the client says the activity happens. Like if they experience it at night, we'll go in at night. Perfect. If they experience it during the day, we'll go in during the day. Nighttime's just more fun.
2: <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? It's yeah, a little bit more yeah. uh, spooky, you could say. So. <laughs> Yeah, great. I think we definitely covered quite a lot of ground there. I really do appreciate it.
3: Hey, well, it was good talking to you.
1: Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th.